Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Very familiar verses, verses 23 to 26. Paul instructs the Corinthians with these words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Is it possible to do something so often that you no longer know what you do? Is it possible? Is it possible to be brought up in something that you observe all your life and you start observing it yourself but you're not exactly sure what you're doing except that you do it? Is that possible? Very, very possible. Sometimes that's the danger of doing something too often. It just becomes... Uh, a routine, it, it, it comes a tradition without any understanding. So we're going to try, by God's grace, to gain some understanding of what we're going to do this morning as we participate in the Lord's table on this day of all days. This is what we call Easter. Jesus is risen from the dead. I want you to use your imagination. I'm going to take you on a couple of journeys this morning. I want you to imagine that you come from a country that has never heard of a birthday party. Never seen a birthday party. Never celebrated a birthday party. I don't know if such a country exists, but we will imagine that you've never, you've grown up your whole life, you're an adult, and you've never heard of celebrating birthdays or a birthday party. And then by some magical thing you're here. And you are invited to somebody's house. And there is a ten year old girl that is having a birthday party. Everything is new to you. You don't understand a thing that is going on. Other people just take everything in stride and seem to know and understand what they're doing. But you as an outsider simply can't figure it. They're just going through it without a second thought. And you just can't put two to two together to make up four. You just don't know what, what is going on at this thing. Now, in our culture, you know, there's many things that we do without ever questioning what they mean. You know, we have graduation parties, we have wedding receptions, and at wedding receptions they do all kinds of things that you don't ever do any other time. A, a toast to the bride, and a speech by this person, and a speech by that person. And then you all have your traditions about, you know, rehearsals, and, and the meals that all go along with it. And we just do it and don't question what they mean, we just enjoy it. And not really knowing... Sometimes, you know, we have little things in our families and you want to tell your child how much you love it, you just pat it on the head or something, and that pat on the head, I remember my dad used to do that to me all the time. He went, good dog, good dog. <laughs> Maybe that's what's wrong with me, isn't it? <laughs> he would just do that to me. Or, 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 you know, or if you've got a business deal, you know, when you shake a hand, even though it might not be signed yet you know that the business deal is good and, and that handshake communicates something but it's never communicated now when we shake hands you realize the business deal is clinched you know that we don't say it we just know that's what it means 
Or how many always like your traditional Christmas dinner? You know, and all the extra bother that goes along with it and, and so forth. And we just do a lot of things, you know, out of tradition or out of habit. And, but a lot of times we don't understand what's going on. Now, just imagine you're this foreigner from a strange country that has never seen or celebrated a birthday party, and you are invited to the home here of there's this 10-year-old girl that's having her birthday party. You have never seen anything like it before. You're puzzled, and you are confused by what you see. And so you ask your friend that has invited you to this all these kinds of questions. You say, why is this house so full of so many people. Why do you have so many people in the house all at once? Where are they all going to sit? Why do you have a lot of people here besides your family? And why do you wear those silly hats? Surely nobody except Stephen Miller, whatever is we've seen in public, wearing something of that nature. Is that right? Why do you wear those silly hats? It just makes no sense. Why is the only person who's opening a gift only that one person? Why only her? What do you mean she's special? Isn't everybody special? What is going on here? And why are you trying to set fire to that cake? Why are you setting fire to that cake? Isn't there already enough light in this room? What's the purpose of setting the cake on fire? And then why does everybody eat it after you try to burn it? What is going on? What makes this day different from all the other days when you do such strange things that you never do any other time? So I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you wear those hats? Now I'll ask you another question. And why do you put candles on the cake. Anybody know why? Or you just do it? Anybody know why? Anybody know where this originated and how it got started? Has anybody ever questioned those things? Or you just do it and enjoy it without trying to figure out where it all came from? We do a lot of things, but we actually don't know why we do them. There's a lot of things. So your host is trying to answer all of these questions for you. Actually, your host doesn't even know the answers why you do a lot of the things that you do. He has no idea why people put on silly hats that make them look ridiculous. He has no reason, no knowledge why people put candles on a cake. Um, but he doesn't, that doesn't stop him from enjoying every minute of the whole thing. But as the host explains the things that he does know, Three statements are being made to that 10-year-old girl, even though none of these statements are actually made. You might give a card, and all it says is, Happy Birthday. But three statements are being made, and everybody unconsciously knows these statements are being made, but it never comes into the conscious mind, perhaps, that they make the statements. first statement that everybody is making is talking to this girl, we love you as you celebrate a milestone in your life. So we wish you this day to be a happy day as you have come to a milestone in your life. The other statement you are making is 10 years ago, we were glad that you came into this world. You're a reason of celebration. We're glad that you came into this world And the third statement we are making is that we wish you many happy birthdays yet to come. Many happy returns. And even though you might not specifically say any one of those three statements, all those funny traditions that you have on this girl's birthday are making all three statements, though nobody actually says it. They're all being stated in that. Celebration, in other words, communicates far more than what is spoken. You are celebrating her present, you are celebrating her past, and you are celebrating her future all at the same time. They may not even be aware that we're doing that, but past, present, and future are all in our minds at that one event.
Now, let me switch the scenes on you. And now we're going to create a different scenario. And this time, I'm going to take you to a different time of history, to a different culture than probably you have ever seen. So we're going to go to a different culture. We're going to visit a different people in a different time of history. I want you to use your imagination and try to the best of your ability to think what life was like in the year 320 B.C. Y'all got it? Now it's going to be impossible because we have no idea. But I'm going to try to put you there. 320 B.C. I'm taking you to a place in Asia Minor, which modern day you would call it in the area of Turkey. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to take you into a Jewish family there, But in that Jewish family, you have to realize that this culprit named Alexander the Great is in the process right then and there of conquering the whole world and he is forcing the entire world to be converted to Greek lifestyle. It's being imposed upon everybody. But you are in the home of a Jewish family Conquered by Alexander the Great 320 years before Jesus would be born. You're invited to participate at a meal. The first thing you do is you realize you don't sit down for this meal. You recline. Why is everybody reclining to eat? They just do it. They don't question what's going on. They are reclining to eat, and they're sitting around a family table for a special meal that they call Passover. The entire family is going to be involved in reading. This is a family event. The entire family is involved in reading and retelling the story that is rehearsed every year at this time. Matter of fact, it's been rehearsed so many times that everybody is very, very familiar with the story except you as the visitor. You don't understand what's going on. Well, as the meal begins, you discover that the father begins to read a story. You will soon discover it is a very long story. You're not going to eat this meal and have it done in 15, 20 minutes. It's a long story. In the story, you're going to hear how Israel went down into Egypt many centuries prior. In a time of famine, it had to go to Egypt for food. But then you will read about an evil king whose name was Pharaoh. And that evil king named Pharaoh thought that he was the son of God. You will hear how the whole he enslaved the entire nation of Israel who is really God's firstborn son. And those people who were enslaved, these families that you're partaking of this meal with, it's their ancestors. And they were, as a people, enslaved for 400 plus years. As you would hear the father tell you the story, he would remind you of how bitter life was in those conditions. You will will hear about how the conditions were so cruel. And then he would continue to tell the story about how God sent a man named Moses and spoke to him at a burning bush and sent, sent him to deliver the people. I am sure that when you hear the story, of the ten plagues. And each one of those plagues is narrated and told as you're sitting there eating this meal. I'm sure your eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because you've never heard of anything like this. There has never in the history of the world been such judgment and such devastation upon any nation like it happened those days in Egypt. And I am sure your eyes are wide with absolute horror as you were imagining these plagues decimating this entire country. And then as the father keeps reading the story and you're eating this meal, then on cue, because it's part of the drama, one of the little children has a part to play. And the little child lifts his voice and says, Father, why is this night 
as we're sitting around this table now, why is this night different from any other night? Why are we doing this tonight? Why is this night different from any other night? And then the father answers the question. But you're listening to this. You're shocked by the, by the answer. The answer says, This very night, as you and I are sitting here, this very night is the night when God rescued us from the Egyptians. And you're puzzled by that. What do you mean, tonight? Didn't that happen many, many centuries ago? You can't, well, it's not tonight. That did not happen tonight. That happened a long, long time ago. Not tonight. What do you mean, tonight, that happened? What does that mean? Well, the answer your host will whisper to you is that it's the same idea that we spoke about the birthday party. Tonight, as we celebrate this Passover meal, the past, the present, and the future all come together at one time. We're celebrating the past, we're celebrating the present, and we're celebrating the future all at one time. And he will argue as he tries to explain why tonight is the night this all happened. He says, we are the same people that came out of Egypt. Because many, many centuries ago, when our fathers came out of Egypt, we also came out of Egypt with them because we were still in our father's loins. They carried our seed within them. So when they came out, I came out. You follow what they're saying there? When they came out, I came out. Because we are a special people with a privileged beginning and with a destiny. And I have inherited the promises made to my fathers. I am one in origin and one in destiny with my fathers because my seed was in them when they came out. When they came out, I came out. This night, we are being set free. We were in our fathers. So we are all one people. No matter how many generations have gone by, we are heirs of the same promise. We have been born into a destiny. We are that people that came out of Egypt that day. When our fathers came out, we also came out. Because we were in them. We are one with our past generations. And we are together in our single destiny of the people of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. Because every good Jew would know that the Passover, the goal was not just to get out of Egypt. The goal was to be set free from slavery so you are free to go to your inheritance. That's important. It's not just about coming out. It's about going in to the destiny, to the promised land, to the future, to the inheritance. You listen to all that and you're not sure if you understand that. You're not sure. You're still puzzled by it. And you would, but you insist that, but that happened centuries ago, centuries ago. How, how, I mean, tonight, what can this meal possibly mean to us today? It's something that happened centuries and centuries and centuries ago. When you partake of the meal today, you're making a confession. And that confession is that we are one with our roots. And we are one with a destiny promised to our fathers. What can that possibly mean to us today? Well, it means we have a beginning. We have an end in view. And there are statements that are being made, even though they might never be spoken. Just like there are statements made at a birthday party for a 10-year-old girl. They're never actually spoken, but the statements are understood nevertheless. There are statements being made when we partake of this. For some of those statements are, God loves us. 
That may never be spoken with our lips, but it's understood. Another thing that makes a statement is that God has heard our groanings and our cries, and God has responded, and God is a God who rescues us. That is being spoken as well. But here is this one I like this the most, I think. That meal is also making a statement. I was born for freedom. Come on now. I was born for freedom. I think I will say that again until that sinks in. I was born to be free. And He has come to give me freedom and deliverance. I was not born to be a slave. I was not born to be dominated by sin. I was not born to be dominated by demons or sickness or disease. I was born to be free. And that meal makes that statement. I'm born to be free. And I am born to move into an inheritance. There is a promise ahead of me. Well, you're learning interesting things sitting around that family in 320 B.C. and somewhere in Asia Minor while they're suffering from Greek domination. But they're remembering as God delivered from the Egyptians. He also delivered from the Greeks as well. I was born for freedom. Then the father begins to start chanting a song. Now what's interesting is while you have been listening to the story, you're eating the meal. Everybody's eating this special meal. But as you hear the story, you're noticing that as you eat the meal, what you're eating is telling the same story as what you're listening to. For instance, on this meal, it's unleavened bread. Not bread that has risen, it's unleavened bread. Why are we eating unleavened bread? That's not natural, I like my bread to rise. Why unleavened bread? Because it's telling you a story. When you eat it, you are participating in the fact that in the original Exodus story, in the original Passover story, even though they were in bondage for so long, when God acts, He acts quickly. So much so that you don't have time to bake the bread. You don't have time to let bread sit overnight and rise. When God wants to answer, He does it swiftly. You and I have been waiting a long time for Jesus to come back. But let me tell you, when He does it, you won't have time to bake your cookies. You're not going to get enough notice to make a loaf of bread. When he says, I'm coming, folks, you've got to be ready within minutes. You don't have time. And when God brought his deliverance, it is swift and it is powerful. And when you eat unleavened bread, you are being told that God is a God, when he acts, he's a God of quick action. He can turn your life around instantly. So when you eat unleavened bread... That's being communicated to you. You're not just eating bread. You're digesting some truth. You're digesting truth about the power of God to act quickly. Oh, there's one part of this meal you really don't like eating. But it's part of the menu. Oh, the bitter herbs. Eat it. Oh, your face turns sour. You pucker up on your face and... Oh. Why is this on the menu? I'll tell you why. Because it's to remind you. It's to remind you of the bitter taste of being a slave. When you're not free. When you're in cruel conditions. When life is hard on you. And eating those bitter herbs is a message in itself. The meal is communicating to you. And then as I said earlier, I mean, where I come from, we sit at tables to eat. 
I don't know if I could sit down. I don't know if I can eat a meal reclining or not. Why, why are we reclining at this meal? That is a message in itself. Because in that world, in that culture, only free people recline. Did you catch that? Slaves never get the chance to recline. They have to stand. But if you're reclining on that meal... It's a statement. You were made for freedom. And so as you partake of that Passover meal, you're listening to the story, but through these, this eating process, you're also experiencing the story as you are hearing it. You experience it. You, you, you know the bitterness because you just ate it. You say, oh, I understand bitterness. Yes, I understand cruelty. I understand unpleasant circumstances. Oh, I understand unleavened bread means when God comes, it's going to come quickly. And I understand, but reclining means I'm made for freedom. You see how the meal communicates. You experience the story by eating the meal. Are you catching the significance of that? Now, let me change the scene again. This time we're going to move forward in history to the time of a man named Jesus. You believe that he is the Messiah, but your understanding of the Messiah as one of the twelve disciples is more like this. This is the one that's going to overthrow the Romans and get rid of the, the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Babylonians. It's going to wash all that history out of us. And we're going to be the dominant nation in the world. And we're expecting the Messiah to do this. And as one of those disciples, you're, you're very familiar with the experience of Passover. You don't just hear the story. You experience the story as you have the meal. And you know that the Passover meal is really, you, you have a different word for it. You call it freedom meal. That's what you call it. It's the freedom meal. Gods will set us free from the Romans, just like he did from the Egyptians, and in the past the Babylonians, and the Persians, and the Greeks. Now it's time for God to set us free. This is the freedom meal from the Romans. It's almost as if Jesus has got something special planned this particular Passover. He arranges to have the Passover, funny enough, one day early, in secret. After all, he has been acting very strangely lately. Did you see him in the temple the other day? Overthrowing the money changers? Oh, something's going to happen. He's acting a little radical. He went in there, overthrew the money changers. He was teaching excitable crowds. He's whipping something, something going to happen. This is the Passover of all Passovers, they're thinking. This is the time when God will use him to deliver his freedom people, made for freedom, deliver them from Roman domination. Surely, this is going to be the Passover of all Passovers. So Jesus is in the upper room there with his disciples and he's telling the story just like we heard the host of the meal he begins to tell the story but as he tells the story he does a few strange things he he changes bits of the story listen to him he talks about the bread he says take eat this bread this is my body which is broken for you now you're going what on earth is he talking about Body broken for you? Why is he changing the story? We've heard we grew up with the story, now he's changing some of the facts. Why is he changing the story, and why is he now reinterpreting the story as if he was the fulfillment of that story? And if that wasn't confusing enough, he takes the cup and he says, Here, take this cup. This is my blood. Now, Jesus, you of all people know that Jews don't drink blood. What are you talking about? And then he talks about sins being forgiven. Well, yes, the disciples must be scratching their heads. We, we know that all the prophets spoke of a time when God would make a new covenant and deliver Israel from their sins. But what's that got to do with Passover? 
This is our freedom meal. We're going to be free from domination of foreign powers. What has that got to do with, with Passover? What is Jesus talking about? And all, all their expectations no longer make sense as Jesus reinterprets this in a way they've never clued into this before. And then after the meal is over, instead of claiming victory over Rome, Jesus slips out to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't go back to Bethany as would have been his normal practice. And as he's out there in the garden, he took three disciples with him. And he seems to be in great anguish and great agony and he's sweating great drops of blood. He's under such heavy anguish that nobody can understand it. And those three disciples don't have the decency to stay awake. But they fall asleep on him. And then came the soldiers with their torches. And then came the arrest. And all the disciples have to go into hiding like rats in a hole. What terrible disappointment. Give me some more bitter herbs to eat. What terrible disappointment. Surely this was the Passover that wasn't. They're confused. Well, let me change the scene again. Let's move forward some 20 or 30 years, 20, 25 years ahead. And this time I'm going to take you to a city by the name of Coloss. You would recognize that because there's an epistle to the Colossians. In that city, there's a fairly wealthy man whose name is Philemon. He's got a slave named Onesimus, if you remember. He's a fairly wealthy man and he has a big house. But it's early on a Sunday morning. And I mean early. Because you have to understand that Sundays in Coloss were not days off for anybody. Who gets a day off? Who ever heard of that? There's no day off. It's a work day for everybody. So to make this happen... Oh, you're going to love this. To make this happen, you have to get up at four in the morning to go to church. Because after you have church, you've got to go to work by seven or by eight o'clock. So you've got to have church at four. Can you just, uh, can you just imagine getting your children out of bed at four o'clock to take them to church? Do we understand the price these people paid to be believers? Do you understand the sacrifice? Do we understand they didn't have days off like we do, that we can just accommodate a church service on a day off? Do you understand how inconvenient it was for these people to have church? Very early, on a Sunday morning, a group of people are already headed to Philemon's house to celebrate some sort of a, a meal together. And the rest of the city isn't even out of bed yet. The rest of the city hasn't got up and they're not preparing for their normal work day. But Philemon's house so early in the morning has become this beehive of activity. What do the neighbors think are going on? Why are they doing this? You see, in the city of Colossus, it all began a few years ago when a Jewish man from that city whose name was Epaphras, well, he went to the city of Ephesus on business. And while he was in Ephesus, <coughs> excuse me, he met a radical Jew named Saul, who now became Paul. And he was teaching daily in the school of a one named Tyrannus, and there were special miracles taking place there. And that Jew by the name of Paul, this radical person, whoever he was, he told a story about Jesus. And that story tells how the Romans arrested Jesus in the garden, put him to a mock trial, crucified him for being a rebel king. But then he said, that's not the end of the story. Because when Jesus died on that cross, his broken body and his shed blood was actually the ultimate sacrifice for your sins and my sins. The debt has been paid in full. 
But there's more to that story. Epaphras is learning more of the story. There's more to that story. Just a few days later, Jesus was seen alive again. But he was alive in a different kind of way. He had been resurrected from the dead. And he made the claim that he is the Lord of the whole world. And he makes the claim he wants everyone in the world to be his people. To experience his grace and to experience his forgiveness. Well, the life of Epaphras was turned upside down by this news. Heard the story, and he saw the miracles, and then he came back to his own city of Colossus, and he told them the story, and he just ruined all their lives as well. No, he didn't ruin them, he fixed them. Just turned their lives upside down as well. And it seems to be that this Jesus who was resurrected, this Jesus who ascended, is the same Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to people, when you hear this message about Jesus, it just does radical things in you. Just radically changes those that hear this message and see the power of the gospel. Everybody gets radically changed who encounters this. Boy, it's funny. They, everybody, it seems like they all become like a new family. And it's a big family. And what a strange family it is. You have slaves and slave owners side by side at Philemon's house. Men and women, rich and poor, Romans, Jews, Scythians, barbarians. They've all encountered this Jesus. And the strange thing about it, they actually love one another. That God has done something that the world can't do and bring people of such diverse backgrounds, opposites, and come together in the same family and they actually love one another and treat each other like brothers and sisters. Wow. And while you're having this great celebration... The rest of the world hasn't slept and got out of bed yet. Because the Christians have got together early. Well, one thing that families like to do when they get together is eat. Amen? When you get the family get together, it's usually time for a big feed, isn't it? Isn't that what families do when they get together? Well, when this family gets together, there's a meal that they have. There's a meal. And they're going to not just tell the story, but by through the, taking the meal, they're going to participate in the story. They're going to participate in the story. And when they have this meal that Jesus reinterpreted, it's just like Jesus himself is there when he ate with his disciples. Just like that birthday party, the past, the present, and the future have all come together for them. There was a beginning. A change that began something. But there is a future destiny yet. You see, I've got to tell you, God's not finished. He's got big plans. I don't know if I ever told you. Have I ever told you this? But the end of the story. Come on. What's the end of the story? It's glory. God has begun something at the cross, folks, and is in process, but the end of the story has not yet been told. I have been saved from the penalty of my sins. I am being saved from the power of sin, but the day is coming I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Jesus is coming back in all His glory. I have been set free to inherit glory. I'm moving somewhere. I'm born from freedom, and I'm destined for glory. I might have to sit down and shout amen or something. I was born for freedom, and I'm destined for glory. Say it again, preacher. Born for freedom, destined for glory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! That's good news. And when you take this meal, those are the statements that are being made. Born for freedom. Destined for glory. I'm an inheritor of promises made to our spiritual fathers. I was in their loins. 
I am the people of God, destined for glory. Well, change the scene one more time to right now, to right here. We're about to partake the Lord's table. When we do it, what statements are being made? First of all, we are identifying our place with the people of God throughout all of history. We are one of the same people that was at that house meeting in Philemon's house that day. That's our family. We're one with those. We're one with that Jewish family in 320 B.C. in Asia Minor. We're one with those people. We are one with Jesus who was sitting down with his disciples that day. We are one with all believers throughout the whole world. Scattered everywhere throughout the world that are celebrating that same meal. We're all telling the same story. And we're all participants in that same story. The meal is a sermon itself. As you partake the meal, you're actually experiencing the story, not just hearing it. You're actually experiencing the story. For this meal, the past, the present, come together at this very moment. As an illustration, just think of uh, you're a teenager in school. It's not your first day at school. It's not your last day at school. You're somewhere in between. How many can remember the first day going to school? Anybody remember? It's one of those days a lot of people just remember. I remember it. I remember at the age of, must have been six years old, I think, and uh, my mother walking me across a very busy street, busy intersection with, with traffic lights, and, and had to go across the street to a school. And I remember the first day of school quite well. You know, and I don't know what your experience was, and some things I can remember, some things I can't remember, but maybe your parents bought you some new clothes to go to school in. Maybe you even had a new pair of shoes if your parents could afford them. You most likely had a brand new set of pencils, and you most likely had some new crayons, and maybe even got a new bag to carry everything in it. I mean, it was a day full of emotion for the child, and certainly... For the mother in particular, it was an emotional day when little so-and-so has got to be released into somebody else's hands. I mean, it was an emotional day that started a process. I remember well that day because we had pictures to color. and Everybody got this picture of an apple and it was color of the apple. I remember it well because the teacher held up my apple as an example of what not to do. <laughs> so he colored outside the lines. I, said, I had a great start at school, I tell you. I had a great start. I remember the day well. But, you know, we all have these memories. We, something began in our past that, be, that put us on a journey. Folks, something has happened in the past. Come on. Something has happened on the past where he makes everything new. And you're started on a journey and you're going to experience it as you partake the meal it's just not telling the story it's experiencing the story through the meal for sure but let's move forward though let's go to the end of your education however long off that might be someday you can really hope to graduate with some sort of qualifications when it's all done you hope to know something and you hope to be able to qualify to do something and your education is moving towards a, a, a purpose at the end of the story. But right now, I'm so far removed from that first day, and I'm quite far off from the last day, and at the moment, life just seems to be normal, routine, maybe even a little on the boring side as I go to school yet again. But the reality, no matter how you perceive life today, routine, mundane, boring, difficult, whatever, 
The truth of today, no matter how your present day seems, it's defined by your beginning and it's defined by your ending. You're going somewhere. And your beginning and your ending is what gives meaning to life right now. Something definite happened in the past, and yet there is still a future to come. Did I tell you that God's got big plans? Think I did. But just in case you didn't hear it, God's got big plans for you. The end of the story is glory. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to finish what He has initiated at the cross. At the cross, He made everything new for you. He started you on a new venture in your life. And at the end of the story, this body is going to get resurrected. Hallelujah. (laughs) This body is going to get resurrected. This corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. This weakness will be exchanged for power. I will see Him as He is and I will be like Him because I will see Him as He is. I will be glorified. Are you going to come for the journey? Are you going to come along with me? I'm headed for a destiny. God's got big plans. Matter of fact, He he plans on renewing the whole heavens and the whole earth. He's got big plans. Just like Jesus received a resurrected body, I'm going to receive a resurrected body And the whole creation is going to go through the process of a resurrection and a glorification as well. Hallelujah. That's my inheritance. That's my future. That's my destiny. Goodbye, world. Goodbye. What are you in comparison to the future that we have? And when we partake of that meal, we celebrate our future. Amen. I was born for freedom, and I am born to a destiny. But right now, life might be mundane, boring, and routine. That doesn't change the fact I was born for freedom, and in that freedom, I have a destiny. That's what we're celebrating. That's what's being communicated. The meal causes us to participate in the message. Sorry I don't have flatbread for you, unleavened bread, and I'm sure you're not sorry that I don't have bitter herbs for you. But what we do have for you is a body and blood that causes us to experience freedom. 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 Anybody who's bound... Tell them about the special meal you have. Nobody is addicted to anything. Tell them about the special meal. This meal communicates all of those things. You know, we're privileged people. The power of the future has already come to me today. Every time there's a healing in the body, I'm, I'm tasting the resurrection to come. Every time there's a prophetic word, I'm tasting a revelation of the heart of God. Every time a word of knowledge comes, I'm tasting the fact that one day the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. As I partake of this meal, I'm partaking and tasting the future. Hallelujah. Tasting the future. You see, one day we're going to see God face to face. But the future is already here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, let me just finish. Past, present, and future come together all at once. Past, present, and future come together all at once. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, whenever you eat this, that whenever is right now. You celebrate the Lord's death. That's the past. That's what began this whole thing. But it says, until He comes. That's our future. That is our future. Today, we're celebrating our beginning at the cross. 
we're accepting the future that this leads us to and we understand our present life today in terms of our past and our future. The meal communicates the message. The message. So, what are some of the things we're going to communicate here? I don't know if you know this, Stephen, but you're going to help me this morning. And so is Darla. So, This says, you're loved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's how the love of God was demonstrated. This says, you are loved. What this says is God irreversibly gave His Son for you. What this meal says, you are totally and completely forgiven people. What this message says, God is a God who rescues us. What this meal says, you're part of one great family, the family of God. That's what this message says. What this says is God in saving you has already allowed you to taste your future inheritance. That's what this message is saying to you. What this is saying is that God who gave you such a new beginning in life is moving you towards a destiny. You are a joint heir with Christ. Don't let anybody tell you any different. You're destined to reign. What is it saying? It says you were made for freedom. You're made for freedom. So the group is going to come again. They're going to sing that song again at the table. And as they do that, uh, Ricky, can I just get you to go and say where they can come back and participate with us, the children as well. The table of the Lord. That's a good song, folks. I will feast at the table of the Lord. And after we sing it, we will participate in the meal.